What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. On today's episode, we got injury news, some more injury news, and then a look ahead at what's next following the injury news. It is a dark but thematic episode, so let's start with the big news. Blazers big man Zach Collins is going to miss a significant amount of time after electing to get surgery on his dislocated left shoulder. Collins, of course, suffered the injury last Sunday against the Dallas Mavericks. Going up for a rebound, he put his left hand on Luka Doncic's shoulder, and it just immediately popped out of place. He headed right to the locker room, didn't return, and hasn't played since. When the Blazers didn't quickly announce a injury update on Collins and when he wasn't made available to the media on at Friday's practice, you kind of knew that bad news was coming. The question was, what flavor of bad news would it be? Collins was, it was inevitable Collins was going to miss a chunk of time, but whether that time was going to be measured in weeks or months was undetermined. And apparently the reason for the delay was because Collins was still debating what to do. He got an MRI while the team was still in Texas. They played Dallas and then San Antonio, and he got an MRI in San Antonio. But after taking those images, they waited. Collins came back to Portland, met with the team's doctors here. They went over the images. And then he started reportedly looking into what his options were. Uh, According to Jason Quick of The Athletic, Collins was still debating surgery or rehab as recently as Saturday morning. He hadn't even made the decision prior to uh, the Blazers game against the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday night. But eventually the decision came down to Collins electing to get surgery. The options basically would look like this. If it's rehab, Collins probably misses a couple weeks, tightens up his shoulder a little bit, feels structurally comfortable with his left arm, and then plays a little bit more until almost inevitably dislocating the shoulder again or fully tearing his rotator cuff or his labrum or just basically until he can't use that arm anymore. It was delaying. Once he dislocated the shoulder in the way that he did, it was inevitable that this was probably going to happen at some point. Blazer fans will remember that Ed Davis tore his labrum and and basically played until he couldn't before he had season-ending surgery, his second-to-last season with the Blazers. Myers Leonard dislocated his shoulder early in a season and then tried to play through it until eventually he had to go through shoulder surgery uh, two years ago. So Zach was maybe not willing to follow that timeline because you you still end up missing the important part of the season. Instead, he went with surgery. That'll straighten things out in his shoulder. Uh, We don't exactly know what's wrong with him. The Blazers haven't announced um, what exactly he's getting repaired. He hasn't spoken to the media. I imagine that will happen Monday morning when the team has a shoot around in San Francisco. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, you'll have more clearer details, likely available specifically from what Collins tells the traveling media. But here's what we know now, is that Collins is going to miss a significant amount of time. He hasn't even scheduled the surgery yet. I imagine that will come in the next couple weeks. And then following the surgery, they'll set a timeline for how long it'll take him to be back. The Blazers 
I think it's unlikely that we'll get real specifics from them. I imagine it'll say Collins is sidelined for 12 weeks or 10 weeks and will be will be reevaluated in 10 weeks or reevaluated in 8 weeks. Not that he'll come back at any point in time because it's unclear whether when and what he'll be like when he comes back, but they'll they will give some timeline and he's looking at months, a significant chunk of the season. This is a crucial injury. There's there's just no way around it. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I think the Blazers' thinnest position is power forward. I think Zach Collins was being shoehorned into that power forward position more so than playing at a natural spot. But in the very small sample size that we'd seen him play, he was pretty good. He was an okay fit next to Hassan Whiteside. He could play small. He could play five down the stretch when the Blazers went a little bit smaller. He maybe his numbers didn't suggest that he was significantly better than last year, but just watching him play, he looked more comfortable, looked smarter about where he was going to get his shots on offense, and was still uh, an impactful and versatile big man defender. They're going to miss him. I want to talk about how they'll replace him more later in this episode. I think that's the big question now is what the Blazers do without Zach. Before we get to that speculation and that discussion of how to replace him, I just want to say that the Blazers, like this roster's risk profile was a little bit high because of how few guys they had who could play power forward and because one of their frontline guys that they were hoping to replace into injured use of Nurkic, they knew he wasn't going to be around till February, was 39-year-old Pau Gasol coming off foot surgery, entering season 19 in the league. You will recall that when they signed Pau Gasol, I did an entire podcast about what are the likelihood that a 39-year-old could be an above-average NBA player or even an average NBA player. Right now, he's just not available. And now with Collins not available, the Blazers are really thin at that spot. So I think this is a big deal just because of how many guys they have sidelined. Here's the good news, though, on the injury front. In theory, when Collins comes back, he'll be ready to play. So if he's available in February, he'll be ready to play and healthy down the stretch to help this team make a playoff push. And the other bad news on Saturday was that it wasn't just Collins who was hurt. Hassan Whiteside missed the game with a left knee bone bruise that he had suffered against Oklahoma City. He actually came back to play at the end of that Oklahoma City game and played down the stretch, but was ruled out once he for Saturday's game against Philly once he came back. And then Rodney Hood, with about just under five minutes left, four, four minutes, 45 seconds left in the fourth quarter, Hood bumped knees with Ben Simmons trying to fight around a screen and just collapsed to the floor. And in that moment when he collapsed, it kind of looked like a serious injury. Uh, the way he was laying there, he quickly motioned to the bench to tell them that he was hurt. And then when they got him up after kind of messing around with his his uh, left leg a little bit, he was didn't really put a ton of weight on it as he went back into the locker room. But here's the good news. We got good news. Hassan Whiteside and Rodney Hood are both listed as probable for Monday's game against the Golden State Warriors. Hood afterwards said that it was just knee-to-knee contact and he didn't think there was anything structurally wrong with the knee. He just thought um, at the time he couldn't put any pressure on it. It was really swollen and it was just, he couldn't play. So he had to get out of there. Whiteside, there was mostly optimism for what I heard around the Blazers is that he was going to be day-to-day after missing 
after missing Saturday's game. They weren't 100% sure he was going to play against Golden State, but no one who I spoke to at the arena on Saturday was worried that he was going to miss a significant amount of time. So it was more about when he's going to come back. And it sounds like both those guys are going to come back Monday against Golden State. So that's good news. It helps to start answer the question, how can the Blazers replace Zach Collins? And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. How will the Blazers replace Zach Collins? They cleared the docks for him to play power forward, and now he's going to be out for a bunch of games, maybe half the season. So the question is, where do they go from here with him on the sideline? That's what we'll talk about in the second segment. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you guys about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKDOWN at manscaped.com. Zach Collins is done for a while. So now the question for the Blazers is not when Zach Collins will going to be back as much as it is what do they do until he gets back. Let's assume he's done for the year. He probably won't be, but there's no promises. But let's, for the sake of the hypothetical, let's assume that there isn't some distant horizon where Zach Collins comes back and is ready to play a bunch of minutes. How can the Blazers address his absence? Well, I think against the Philadelphia 76ers, we got at least some insight into how the team will approach it to some extent. Obviously, missing Hassan Whiteside in that game made things even a little murkier in terms of how the Terry Stotts might approach the rotation spot. But he gave us some insight nonetheless. Uh, we don't really do recaps on Lockdown Blazers, but the Blazers lost a game 129-128 that they led by 21, then gave up the lead, then took the lead again with two seconds left and lost it just before the buzzer. That's your recap. But more than that, the structural stuff that happened in the game, I think gives you more insight to how the Blazers might approach Collins' absence. I think it was widely assumed that Scalabissier would start at center and Anthony Tolliver would start at power forward. And that's just how the Blazers would roll. Scal was the only healthy center on the roster. Tolliver, the only healthy power forward on the roster. And then that's how they would do things. But Terry Stotts, one of the great curveball throwers of our time, threw a curveball. He started Mario Hazonia at power forward. He started Anthony Tolliver at center. Tolliver checked Al Horford, who's not a big dude, but was the biggest guy on the floor and kind of dominated the Blazers on the glass. Scalabissier came in and played 23 minutes off the bench and was good. I thought he was mostly good. He got beat out for a couple crucial rebounds in the fourth quarter. Kylo Quinn beat him to the glass a couple times, but Scal was pretty good. Before the game, I had looked up how many times Scal had played more than 30 minutes in his career. It's only 16 games in this, his fourth NBA season. I thought it was a lock on Saturday against Philly, considering how big they are and what the Blazers were dealing with, that Scal was going to play another 30 minutes, that it was, it was going to be game 17 for Scal, reaching that plateau. But I think the fact that even with that group, that Stotts decided to say, Okay, Scal is tw- Scal's at 23, Hazonia's at 27, and Mario Hazonia is going to be the guy who logs big minutes. Hazonia played nearly 38 minutes, spending basically every single minute on the floor checking Ben Simmons. And he was pretty good early and not very good late. 
But that alone tells you how Stotts is going to approach this. Scal is going to get his opportunities. In fact, I think he is now a rotational mainstay. And even when Pau Gasol gets back, I think he's going to have to earn minutes to jump ahead of Scal. He'll obviously get a chance and the Blazers will see what he can do when he's healthy. But I think Scal has produced enough to be ahead of him on the depth chart for now. But Scal isn't going to jump up. It seems unlikely Scal jumps up regularly into that 30-minute range. Instead, I think that 22 to 25 is how the Blazers will use him. And a lot of looks where Tolliver plays center. The Blazers will go small, and Terry Sotts trusts Anthony Tolliver to fill in that spot. That's how they'll do it. And Mario Azonia, who was going to play three or four most of this year, is pretty much exclusively going to be a four from here on out. I also think Hassan Whiteside, they have to figure out how to play him more in close games. The game that Whiteside was available and Collins missed, they did play Whiteside down the stretch against OKC. Now, he wasn't on the court for the final offensive possession of the game, but more importantly, he was on the court when the Blazers needed stops in the final three minutes of that one. He's going to have to play more. He can't average 25 minutes a night. Now with Zach Collins out, it's just not realistic. So that's how they address it. They boost Hassan Whiteside's minutes. They really keep leaning on Anthony Tolliver in that 27 to 32 minute range. Mario Hazonia gets a bunch of time at power forward. The Blazers play a bunch of minutes small as a smaller team. Small ball units galore. And Scalabissier is a mainstay, but not many more than 25 minutes a night. I think that's a reasonable approach. Now, does that quartet of players look like a playoff team in the West? Whiteside, Tolliver, Hazonia, and Scalabissier? Probably not. But it's who the Blazers have for now. And I say for now because I think if solutions are coming to shore up this front line and to change this rotation and to address this team's obvious weaknesses up front, it's not coming right away. And that's what I want to talk about in the third segment. If there are solutions that aren't on the roster right now, when will we see them and what might they be? I got some ideas. None of them are Carmelo Anthony. But stick around and find out some names of guys who aren't Carmelo Anthony who could help the Blazers. All right, still locked on Blazers. Still pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond. And we're still talking about the aftermath of the Zach Collins injury and how the Blazers can address it. I think the Blazers do most of what they do internally. Scow, Tolliver, Hazonia, maybe eventually Pau Gasol, if and when he's ever ready to play. And I think eventually something happens. The Blazers have some moving parts. They have expiring contracts and first round picks and an open roster spot. They could go make a move. I don't think they're going to do anything until at least December 15th. That's an important deadline day just because players who were signed in the offseason can be traded starting December 15th. So I think Portland will hold out for a month, see what they have, try to tread water, and then wait until way more contracts are available to be traded before scouring the trade market. It's harder to go early and make these trades early in the season just because fewer guys are eligible to be traded and 
maybe not every team in the league is in the Blazers situation where they sort of desperately need to make a move. Uh, Portland will have a little bit of leverage if they wait until December 15th. Maybe not a ton, maybe never sort of a the upper hand in a trade considering their roster, but you wait further into the season, more teams realize they're not good, more teams realize they want to they need to change things up either for stylistic or cultural or just skill reasons. So I don't think anything's coming till December 15th. Now there are other options. The obvious one that a lot of people have already pointed out is to call up two-way player Moses Brown from the from the G League. Uh, Brown was assigned to the Texas Legends, uh, the G League affiliate of the Dallas Mavericks, and he'll probably be there for most of the year. Now, the obvious people pointed to him because he is seven feet tall and the Blazers had 28 feet of dudes wearing designer suits on Saturday night. Here's why I don't think Moses Brown is a great solution. One, he turned 20 on October 13th. There are not that many 20-year-old bigs in the world who are ready to play NBA basketball. I'm not sure Brown, in his one season at UCLA and training camp with the Blazers, showed that he is one of the rare 20-year-olds ready to play NBA basketball at a high enough level. And two, and I think this is the big one, Terry Stotts doesn't want to play young people. Not that he hates all young people people, but he is stubborn to play rookies. He's more comfortable playing guys who are a quick study, guys who've played in the league and can pick up his concepts, guys who have some experience. He's much more comfortable with that type of group. In fact, I think the Blazers kind of stacked the roster this year, so Stotts had no choice but to play Anthony Simons and Zach Collins. Zach probably would have got his chances, but if they had signed another veteran guard, there's a chance that Stotts would have liked that veteran guard earlier in the season more than he liked Anthony Simons, just based on his track record and his sort of patience with giving young guys a long leash. The Blazers built this roster so their coach had couldn't make any of those decisions. They kind of took away his toys. So... While Neil Olshay might bring up Moses Brown, I think it's reasonable to think that he might here in the next two weeks call up Brown to sit on the end of the bench, to be in practice, to be a break-the-glass emergency big man. I can't imagine a scenario barring another injury or just wild foul trouble where Stotts looks down the bench and calls on a guy who turned 20 on October 13th, has yet to play an NBA minute, and has spent basically a month around the Blazers practice facility and says, Moses, we need you to help. It's the third quarter of a game for a team that at one point fancied itself a championship contender. It's your turn. I just don't see it happening with this coaching staff. So there's probably a good chance in the next couple weeks that Moses Brown is on the Blazers roster at the end of their bench, but I don't see him being a solution. So the next solution, reasonable pick, is for the Blazers to fill that 15th roster spot. They're carrying 14 right now. They already have the highest payroll in the league. So adding a 15th player would have to be someone who ownership says is worth the money. They're a tax team. That makes every addition exponentially more expensive. I am not someone who cares what billionaires spend on teams. 
I don't think, I think it's kind of an unhealthy fandom thing to worry about how much your team is spending. So that's not what I'm saying by explaining that it's going to be expensive. I mean, screw that. Billionaires should spend money. But there's, there might be some hesitation is why I mentioned that. So what that might mean is it's going to take someone impactful for the Blazers to make that move, spend that money and get there. The name that you keep seeing floated around on social media is Joe Kim Noah. Joe Kim Noah was pretty good last year for the Memphis Grizzlies when they signed him off the street. Uh, he looked like a you useful rotation player. Averaged about seven and six and played some defense. He's a pretty good passer out of the high post. Uh, he understands his skill set and doesn't play too far outside of it. But I don't think a center is exactly what the Blazers need. So, Joe Kim Noah doesn't strike me as a great solution. Marcin Gortat, another guy who's probably an NBA-level player who's not employed in the league right now, doesn't strike me as the right solution. Carmelo Anthony, not the solution. The Blazers don't need another offensive player who doesn't really do much other than score. Who's? It just seems like the Carmelo Anthony boat sailed. I know it's a fun one to consider, but it's not one that I would uh, recommend by any means. So, like, what are reasonable solutions? Why I say they need a four is because the Blazers haven't played any minutes with Scalabissier and Hassan Whiteside together. You assume those two dudes are healthy and going to be part of the rotation and, and they can't share the court together. You need someone who could play next to either of them. That kind of limits your options. That's why I don't think Joe Kim Noah is a great choice. That's why I don't think Martian Gortat is a great choice. I think you kind of need to downsize. The obvious one, sort of the biggest free agent out there that's not Carmelo Anthony, that sort of is that class of player, is Kenneth Fareed. I'm not a big Fareed guy. I don't think he's a very good defensive player. I think he's kind of just a hustle rebounder who doesn't provide much else. He doesn't have much shooting range, although he did randomly start shooting threes with the Rockets last year because when you get to Houston, you get to shoot threes. It's a nice thing. I think he's an okay solution, but he wouldn't be my choice. John Luer, the return of Dante Cunningham. You could kind of see why I said the Blazers aren't going to do anything until December 15th. The scrap heap, the guys who are former NBA vets, you could throw Tyler Zeller's name in there too. The the big men group of guys who have played NBA basketball, who are veteran types, who are the type of player who would earn Terry Stotts' trust because, again, he wants an experience, he wants someone with a little bit of seasoning to throw them on the court right away. They just aren't available right now. So I don't think the Blazers sign anyone in the very near term. I don't think they add Moses Brown into the rotation in, a ver- in the very near term. I think in the near term, it's Scal, it's Hazonia, it's Anthony Tolliver, and it's slight uptick in Hassan Whiteside's minutes. The Blazers are going to try to do this internally for the next month. Once we get to December 15th and start creeping towards that week of Christmas, I think then the Blazers will recalibrate, reconsider what they have survey the trade market, survey the league. And if it's clear they need help, then they'll go out and 
see if Joe Kim Noah is in good shape, see if Kenneth Freed wants to come to Portland, see if Dante Cunningham wants to make a trip back here. But for now, don't expect a big splash. Don't expect a, a Woj free agency bomb. That might be the jinx that as soon as I hit publish on this podcast, he does tweet out that the Blazers made some big signing and Carmelo Anthony is a Blazer. But I don't think that's realistic. I don't think it's realistic based on how the coaching staff operates. I don't think it's realistic based on who's available on the open market. I think for now, the Blazers are going to, for lack of a better term, smoke what they got. Tonight, they play the Golden State Warriors, a team coming off five straight championships, also ravaged by injury. It's a reminder of how quickly fortunes can change. I don't think the Blazers' fortunes have changed that drastically. Damian Lodo is still one of the 10 best players in the NBA. CJ McCollum hasn't exactly found his rhythm. He's been a little bit up and down, but he's still one of the best sidekicks in the league. They have some parts who can help. Whiteside is a decent addition. Rodney Hood is looking like he's starting to find his rhythm as an offensive player. If they can get a little bit more out of Hazonia, if they can get a little bit more out of Tolliver, this team can tread water and battle for one of those bottom half Western playoff spots. But the reality is that less than three weeks into the NBA season, the Blazers' ceiling has drastically changed. Post Zach Collins, what they got to figure out now is what the short-term future looks like. They still probably have the long-term mapped out relatively similar, but the short-term has changed a bunch. And that's what they'll be tasked with figuring out. Tell your friends to listen to this podcast. If you like it, there's a chance they'll like it too. And that's how we grow the audience. You tell a friend, they tell a friend, Lockdown Blazers keeps going. You can find this wherever you already get podcasts, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify.